He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. Uh, my name's Kyle. Once again, be your host. Here with the rest of the Munsons. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. Rigby. Uh, nothing new on my end. Just, you know, all the days are just kind of during this quarantine and during this work from home and the election. Everything's just sort of mashing together. Feel like a week takes sound feels like it takes uh you know, a month. Hopefully everybody's staying safe and healthy where you guys are. Yeah, just avoid the White House at all costs and you'll be fine. Yep. Pretty much. Warren. My wife and I were on a walk yesterday with our kid and uh this lady drove up. We had no idea who she was, and she was like, Oh my gosh, your kid's so cute and I was like, Hey, that's great. Um, we love stopping and talking to strangers and then she lectured us on being anti vaxxer. <laughs> And uh, it's unreal. Vac- get, get your vaccinations. Son. That's just just do that. I just got my flu shot yesterday, baby. She was like, uh, "I'm telling my daughter who's 27, and you know, she she got into religion a little bit, and then she, I was like, yeah, don't get your vaccinations. Uh, don't get a flu shot when you're pregnant. Stay away from microwaves. Uh, don't carry a phone. Don't use a laptop. And I was just like, go back to your fucking cave. Yeah, that's when you that's when you break out the Kevin Nealon and Happy Gilmore. You just go psycho. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, uh, there's still people out there who pandemic and all are still crazy. James. Uh, to follow what Warren said, since the last time we spoke, uh, me and my anti-vaxxer family. Uh, <laughs> no, but joking aside, uh, my wife had tested positive for COVID over the last two weeks, and that shit sucked ass. Oh, shit. Um, she's doing better now. Uh, I tested negative. We took our follow-up test today. We both feel fine. But, damn, that shit blows. And, uh, yeah, you should absolutely get vaccinated because shit like this sucks man damn i didn't know that james got glad to hear she's feeling better yeah i appreciate it it's a miracle you didn't get it living with her that's that's wild i have no idea how uh, i went and got <laughs> i actually got tested twice because i still didn't believe it but i feel fine immune my friend craig not much on on my end just ready for a good episode of uh munson's at the movies tonight but I did have a little uh I did have a little side note on some family strife. Apparently my mom was driving around this neighborhood and stopped to talk to a young couple walking their kid <laughs> about getting vaccinated. <laughs> I really had to talk her off the ledge about that one. <laughs> Touche, Craig. That was awesome. other, other than that, nothing new in the case world. <laughs> oh, man. Well, good luck to you and you managing your mother. Yeah, but like like D.D. Cooper, your, your mom's way off. <laughs> she missed the jump by a couple feet, brother. Everything's good here in my household. Um, mostly that's because the Rays are still active and um, they – Took out James's team and is working on uh, taking out Warren's team here. So. You're such a pussy. <laughs>
<laughs> you know, I'm not a Rays fan, but uh, the, uh, the yeah, emotion but you're, of the you're, Rays sure. affect me. So I have to, I have to support as much as I can. No one's a Rays fan. Yeah, you know, there's three of them. So there's one upstairs. Just <laughs> because so. you happen to be dating one of the three Rays fans. Happy uh, to welcome our next guest, Munson, for this uh, spooky Halloween-themed uh, Munson's episode, and that's John Cohorn. Um, John is a he's an instructional designer by day. Once night falls, spooky, he can often be found indulging in one or more of his primary vices, watching horror movies of all kinds, listening to music, and drinking good bourbon. And uh, as I'm sure he'll tell you in a second, he's uh, probably partaking in such a thing as we speak. John fell in love with the movies early in life and has spent time as a 35 millimeter projectionist, a salty video store clerk, and a distracted extra on set. John recently nuked his social media. Congratulations. That sounds phenomenal. Must be nice. But his writing can still be found at Modern Horrors, www.modernhorrors.com. Welcome, John. Thank you, Welcome Munson. Ahead, John. All hail Hellscape 2020. <laughs> <laughs> well, so tell us a little bit about Real. being a distracted extra on set, and then tell us about the bourbon you're drinking. It's kind of among the theme tonight. So the first time that I ever worked on set as an extra... Uh, was on a Robert Rodriguez film. Uh, it was The Faculty, which filmed, if I'm remembering yes. correctly, in 1998 and released in 1999. That's awesome. I mean, John Stewart. John Stewart, Selma Hayek. The, the yeah. cast was great. Uh, my upstairs neighbor in the apartment that I was living in at the time, he and I both spent a few nights in Lockhart. Uh, a, a few like 20 30 minutes outside of Austin um doing extra work uh it was it was a lot of fun i still have a uh i think it was herringville high hornets t-shirt that was signed by robert rodriguez that was uh, a very cool experience and will tie into some of what we're talking about tonight as far as bourbon goes well yeah i'm representing my home state this evening i'm drinking a selection of bourbons from Garrison Brothers out in High, Texas, not H-I-G-H. That's H-Y-E. So I started off with their cowboy bourbon. I was going to go to a single barrel selection, but I kind of got put on the spot. So right now I'm drinking the Laguna Madre. It's delicious, by the way. You're getting a little uh, little classy on us, and we appreciate yeah. it. I am classy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a prerequisite to be on here. So Apparently John, he's a real Munson. <laughs> <laughs> I can live up to it. So, John, we crossed paths a while ago through the CF3 podcast. I know we, we jumped on and did uh, a review, you and I, of an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. What was it? No, we did Stallone. We did... Uh, Demolition Man, right? We did Demolition we, Man. Demolition Man uh, and then Commando. Mm-hmm. And that was with Rigby and Warren. So yeah, we crossed paths a few times. You've got a legend I've, about I've yourself. I've met a few Munsons. <laughs> a few, a few, and you've crossed the rest off the bucket list tonight. So we're happy <laughs> to have you. We've been planning this for a while. We knew we were going to have a Halloween themed episode where we put only uh, Halloween horror type actors on the on the wheel, and so we're bringing in John to give us the talent and the expertise. <laughs> We've got some birthdays on October 22nd, Warren. We're going to start off with Christopher Lloyd, the actor. Back to the Future series, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, his first feature film. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Camp Nowhere, and The Tale of Despero. How old is Christopher Lloyd? Doc Brown. He, he's he's 80, so old. 82, he Warren. He's old. 85. 82. 90. I'm going to go 79. I'm going to go under everybody. 
That's cool. I was thinking 82 earlier, but I, I'll go 81. It's 82. Oh! <laughs> so, oh, you were sure. thinking those, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. 82. Next up, we got Bob Odenkirk. We are talking about Breaking Bad, so uh, we've got him, Mr. Show, Better Call Saul, and the Andy Dick Show. 55. <laughs> 58, Warren. Give me 60. 61. 59. 58. Back-to-back oh, back on the dog. Oh, shit. <laughs> I swear to God I'm not looking at these Can up. he go hat trick? Hat if trick. he goes hat trick, that's, that's cheating. 100%. I swear to God. Jeff Goldblum, Jurassic Park, Independence Day, Thor Ragnarok, and Mordecai. 69. Jeff 74. I, I think, think he's older. I think he's older than he looks. I'm going to go 75, Warren. 71. He looks great, by the way, for even how old he is. It's part of the legend. He's old. He looks a lot younger than he actually is. Yeah. I think you guys overall are guessing older than he is. And John would be correct. He's 68. Wow. Damn, I was off by a year. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. Those are all the birthdays. Nobody, nobody else has birthdays. So as we mentioned, uh, we've got a bunch of horror actors that we threw on the wheel. So this is a little bit of a Munson's Choice episode. Definitely uh, didn't auto-generate these five from our list. That would have been uh, weird, and we would have needed to go play the lottery right away. Yeah, um, we, would have, we would have accused you for rigging this. <laughs> 100%, and you would have been right, because I would have been cheating. We've never um, accused you of that before. No, collusion, never. I would never do such a thing. Um, there's only honor in this system. So those five actors... We've got Nev Campbell from the the Scream franchise. We've got Jamie Lee Curtis from Halloween side and plenty of other things like Freaky Friday. We've got Tony Todd, the Candyman himself. Bruce Campbell, obviously a legend in the Evil Dead side, and uh, Danny Trejo, which he's he's as we'll talk about, has dabbled in a lot of different projects over the years. Some horror, some horror adjacent, some just thrillers and comedies and silly things. Here's the key before we get into Danny Trejo. Danny Trio is widely known as the busiest actor in Hollywood. He has almost 400 credits on his IMDb. I know we mentioned this last time on our Gary Cole episode. We're going to reemphasize this times two because he has more than double the credits of Gary Cole, who had 179, I believe. We are not going to hit everything from Danny Trejo. If we did, this would be a seven-hour episode, and you would die of boredom, um, much like he dies in most of his horror movies. Of which he has about he has over fifty horror credits. So it looks like you know one of eight of his credits are going to be horror based, and we will try to hit as many of those as we can. Before we do anything else, we get into a little actor trivia, and James has plenty to pick from with the always interesting Danny Trail. Absolutely. Uh, so John, to give you uh, bring you up to speed on what we do here is I'm going to read a few facts about uh, Danny Trejo that are true and one that is actually a fact about one of the stars from the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, and you guys are going to have to guess which one is not true about him. Before I get into the trivia, you'll learn this throughout the podcast, but Danny Trejo's, uh, Trejo's life outside of acting is actually what's most fascinating about him. And so I saved a lot of that information for our discussion uh, throughout the podcast because it is pretty inspiring stuff and really cool to learn about. So I will start now. Fact number one, he was expelled from five different high schools for fighting and poor attendance. Fact number two, as Kyle mentioned, he's a prolific actor who seldomly turns down a role, and in 2002, he did seven films alone, including Triple X. Fact number three, 
He has died in more films than any other American actor in history, a total of 65 times. Good one. Goddamn, dude. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the third one, um, and that's Eva Mendez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly certain number two is a lie. I think you're fudging numbers on us. I think it's more than seven. Who do you think the Fast and the Furious person is, then, Kyle? Uh, I have no clue. That's I did mention Triple X. He did. It's true. It's probably Vin Diesel. I'm gonna go two is a lie as well, and I think it's Tyrese Gibson. Even though I don't can't even think of a movie he was in in 2002. Besides. <laughs> Besides Fast, Fast and, and the Furious, Furious. too. Yeah. <laughs> what was the uh, first one? He was expelled from five different high schools for fighting and poor attendance. That could be a Fast and the Furious star. I'm going with that one. That's definitely Jordana Brewster. She was a real <laughs> brawler in high school. <laughs> the, fa- the faculty, that shows exactly what she did. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> My gut instinct said three, but I think it's a trick question. Uh, I'm going to go with number two as well, but I've never watched any Fast and the Furious movies, so I don't know who the fuck with this stand-in would be. <laughs> You're a better well, person uh, for it. You are yes. missing out on just American classics, let me tell you. I hear it's Cinema, about family. John. It Cinema. is. <laughs> Family's a big part of the, the plot. Yeah, that plays a major role. Okay, so with everyone having their guesses in, I'll start from the bottom up. So fact number three is true. He has died on more in more films than any other American actor in history, a total of 65 times. Wow. In 2015, which marked a high point for the amount of times he died in his career, he died eight times in movies in 2015 alone. He was shot twice, stabbed twice, eaten by something twice, tortured once, beaten once. Fact number two is in fact true. <laughs> Uh, he suddenly turns down a role. He had seven films uh, in 2002, including Triple X. That wasn't even close to the total, uh, the largest amount he ever did in a year. In 2010, he was in 19 different films. <laughs> Movies alone, he's been in over 250. That doesn't include TV shows or music videos, just movies. Um, he is on record saying that he'll never turn down a role, uh, which is something I'm sure we'll expand upon in the podcast. Yep. And fact number one, uh, he was not expelled from five different high schools for fighting. That was, in fact, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, who has starred in seven uh, of the 13 uh, Fast one. and the Furious movies. Wow. Co-star in Machete. Also tracks. <laughs> Danny Trejo never made it to high school. Uh, he got into hard drugs by the age of 12 and was into armed robbery by 14 and spent his formative years in juvenile detention and federal prison. So high school was not in the cards for him. Wow. Dude, we should have we should have asked him to be our second guest for this episode. He might have might have done it. Honestly, he wouldn't, have turned, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have turned it down. Could call his fucking bluff right there, uh, James. What I, what I took away from that more than anything is Ken Watanabe, eat your heart out, bro. Because you thought you thought you died a lot. Danny's the yeah. man. He, I, you type it in actor which has died the most. It still it autofills for you. Goes. You mean Danny Trejo? <laughs> like, yeah, I, guess I guess that's who I mean. <laughs> do you need help spelling that? Because I can, yeah, I can do like, that we'll for just you. Take you to the answer. Here it is. All right, cool. Thanks, James. All right, Case, tell us a little bit about his box office history, which I imagine is uh, interesting. Well, it's it's lengthy, right? If you've watched any of his non-mainstream movies, you know that he is the king of low-budget films for our podcast. I picked out twenty-five movies that we would be talking about or have some relevance. Of those twenty-five, eleven of them lost money and some of them substantial before before we we get into pointing out some of those he's got i would say four movies that did pretty well in the box office 
Anybody want to take a guess on what his top four movies would be? Door of the Explorer. Nope. Spy Kids. <laughs> Spy Kids. Yeah, Spy Kids made three times its budget. Machete, uh, Grindhouse. How about Heat? Heat is probably the number one. Heat was two. It, it, it doubled its, its uh, budget. Con Air, baby. No, Con Air, it world grossed 224, but its budget was massive. That's the biggest budgeted movie he has at 75 million. Wow. Wow. The one that did the best was From Dust Till Dawn. That's what I figured. Oh, nice. Only a $19 million budget, and it world grossed 137 million. So that one, wow. that one was really good. All right. Thanks, Case. You bet. All right. So if you want to know the important things to know about Danny Trejo's life, this is this is my first recommendation. I, I think James will follow suit and, and John. Go find Inmate Number 1, The Rise of Danny Trejo. The documentary came out in 2020. It's going to give you a really good picture of what Danny Trejo's life has looked like up until his film work and then everything since, um, especially everything off the screen. Um, knowing that most of you probably haven't seen that, I'm going to try to condense that um, as much as possible to help you understand f- from James telling you that he got into drugs all the way to his first film role. Just kind of sum up Danny's life. Um, he went to the same middle school as Richie Valens in Pacoima, um, California. He is a huge fan of Western films, so he's a huge John Wayne guy. Loves John Wayne. Um, he showed his kids John Wayne growing up. Like That's, that's kind of his like film icon. Early on, he started to get influenced by his uncle Gilbert, who was not the best character or the best influence in his life. This was around the age of eight. Uncle Gilbert introduced him to grass. He was doing heroin by the time he was 12 years old. Um, all that led him into doing robberies and going to juvenile hall, eventually leading him to prisons like San Quentin. He spent most of the 60s in different prisons across the state of California and uh, because uh, he was part of a essentially a Mexican mafia that they needed to break up the leadership, and so they'd move these guys around. Um, while he was incarcerated, he was a boxing champ in 66, 67, and 68 in the welterweight division. My man knew how to throw some throw some fists around and uh, did it prolifically for a few years. So he, uh, he learned early on there's a difference between the pred- being the predator and the prey in prison, and uh, he was the predator. They brought in an outside team of free people to play baseball against a bunch of inmates, almost longest yard style, and a yeah. little bit of a riot. He ended up throwing a rock and hitting a guard in the head. Um, if the guard had recognized who it was, he probably would have gotten executed for it, and he didn't. So uh, he, he kind of... Uh, squeak by there and it would be a very different story. We would not be covering Danny Trejo. Um, but because of that, um, he got sent to solitary, started, you know, when you're in solitary, you do a lot of reflection about who are you? What are you doing in life? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? Who, what's, who's the person that you want to be in life? He ended up going to AA cause he was an addict, um, when he got out and his life kind of changed at that point, he became a sponsor. Um, it turned him into this servant where he'd started devoting his life to other people. He, he credits everything he's achieved in life to helping others. And he became a drug counselor um, in his 30s. Uh, and all of that led up to um, his first movie job was on Runaway Train. 
And he got the job because he was actually meeting up with um, someone on set who had a cocaine addiction, who he was there providing some support. And the director met him, who was this like Russian aristocrat, uh, was like, yo, let me see your chest tattoo. That's awesome. I want to put you in my movie. They brought him in to train their main actor how to box. And he ended up being in the boxing scene against, uh, I don't what was it? what was the main character's name? It was Eric know. Roberts, wasn't it? I don't know. There's so yeah. much here. I'm just trying to remember as much as I can here. I think it was Eric Roberts. It was pretty perfect in that, like, he's going to help somebody sponsoring, and the movie is about inmate boxing. And he walks in, and the director's like, oh, my God. Who is that? <laughs> that to be in my I hate movie. this guy. <laughs> like, who? What the hell? He said he walked in, saw these dudes hopping around in prison uniforms. He's like, this isn't real. Like, come on. Let's, um, let's actually make this realistic. So he got hired when he was 41. Um, so his film career didn't start until his forties. Um, then he was hired, really started working with Eddie Bunker, who became his mentor in the, uh, the, the film and Hollywood space. And, uh, he had to learn early on and Eddie taught him this. He, he's a, he was a super intimidating guy, you know, former inmate, um, did a lot of crazy shit. Um, he had to learn to disarm people and not intimidate them. And that's what led him into, uh, a career. I thought it was a cool line from uh, that stuck with him from Eddie Bunker, who was a reformed uh, criminal himself, who was an actor, who said, um, when you work in Hollywood, people want you to play a tough guy. They don't want you to actually be a tough guy. And since you are a tough guy, you have to disarm people immediately. And it clicked with him. He's like, I could play myself of course that's easy it's like getting the roles is going to be hard so when i get there i have to be the nicest the funniest the friendliest because he no, the friendliest because he is super intimidating looking and he is that guy so that of course actors and actresses are going to be scared of him so all that led to a lot of smaller cameo parts where he's he's playing prisoner number one prisoner number three you know guy number two and nothing with a name to it his first role where he actually had a character was in Death Wish for the Crackdown. He played a character named Art Sinella in 1984. From there, his career continued to pick up, doing a lot of smaller projects. He was in Marked for Death as a character named Hector in 1990. He was in The Hidden in 1987 as a, as a prisoner. Uh, go figure. And then in 1993, the, the big movie will mark out is he was in Blood In, Blood Out as Geronimo. That was the first time that I ever saw Danny Trejo on the big screen. And that motherfucker cut a presence. <laughs> His character was Geronimo. And that movie was pretty long. I, I forget the actual length, but it was pretty long, even in the theatrical cut. Three hours, looks like. I was about to say uh, about three hours. Um, and some of the things that even, you know, 25 plus years later would stick with you was it was an unflinching portrait of life in prison. Uh, but aside from the, the violent aspects of it, the thing that stuck with you the most, at least for me, was the presence of Danny Trejo in that character and on, on screen. And I know he mentioned in the documentary, he, he connects a lot to that role because it, it, uh, involved his Mexican heritage. I believe he said that uh, filming that that role was the first time that he had been back to prison since he was released mm -hmm. for the last time. Oh, wow. 95, he was in Desperado um, as a knife-throwing assassin. Um, no dialogue in this one, but a very commanding presence in that movie. One of the facts I learned about him is in Desperado, uh, 
he was hired by the casting agency because of his look. It's a non-speaking role and he's super intimidating. And when he got on set, uh, just via communication with director Robert Rodriguez, they found out they were related. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Second cousins, right? Yeah, that's wild. You're my cousin. And that is how they got introduced. Random casting. It's, he also, he's also responsible for the, the best death of, uh, Steve Buscemi in a on screen, except for Tony, <laughs> Sopra- except for Tony Soprano in the, in the Sopranos, but a couple, couple knives to the chest. He's unbelievable. This character that was, I was also working at the theater at the time, John. And anytime somebody would come up to get tickets and they didn't know what they wanted to see, I'm like, Oh, you got to see Desperado. And I was really telling them like this dude that throws knives, just wait for it. And everybody <laughs> that came out, they're like, that guy, that guy's awesome. So that was, I remember that movie vividly from the theaters. Hell Yeah. Was that his first Robert Rodriguez collaboration? Yes, because that was Rodriguez's second film, if I'm not mistaken. That's kind of like a beginning of a beautiful friendship, as they say. You learn your family. Holy shit, bro. We should work together some more. It's going to be great. Um, Yeah, I remember watching an interview where he said he really wanted dialogue in the movie. And he kept like urging them, like, come on, give me some lines. And they were like, nah, it kind of ruins the allure of the character. The whole idea is you're not supposed to talk, so... That's right. Uh, he wanted more, but um, I think I think they played it well. Um, Ninety-five as well. He was in Heat, a little movie. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard about it. Played a character named Gilbert Trejo, and as I mentioned earlier, um, you know he's playing the the character uh, named after his uncle, who was a big part of his life, even though he led him astray into some really tough uh, areas. Yeah, um, but huge movie. Yeah, I saw a quote online today that said. You know you're a badass if you have if your name if your role in the movie is named after your real name because his name in the movie is Trejo, which is kind of cool. Heat's an awesome movie. Obviously, it's definitely one of my favorite action thrillers, whatever you want to call it, crime thrillers of the '90s. Um, he's got a small role in it, but he's he plays it well. And the scene where he meets his, you know, his familiar demise uh, with <laughs> on the, at the hands of Robert De Niro is pretty powerful. Oh hell yeah. And Trejo said that uh, that's when he felt like he made it in the industry, when he was acting alongside De Niro, Kilmer, like all these big, huge names. He was like, yeah, I've, I finally made it. I've been doing a lot of work, but this is this means I've 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 made it in Hollywood, which is a cool little moment. Yeah. Yep. But that takes him to what we're going to call his first feature film in terms of a role, and that's from Dust Till Dawn, 96, and uh, James has this one. From Dust Till Dawn was directed by his cousin, Robert Rodriguez, who happens to be a famous horror and action movie director. Um, it was written by the infamous Quentin Tarantino and a horror writer I did not know uh, by the name of Robert Kurtzman, who I found out actually wrote The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes. When this movie first came out, it received both praise and criticism for how jarringly different the first half of the movie is compared to the second half, uh, which kind of ultimately led it to reach cult classic status. A quick synopsis of the movie is two fugitive brothers, which are played by George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino, force uh, ex-minister, played by Harvey Keitel, and his two children at gunpoint, to take them across the border into Mexico to evade law enforcement. They arrive at a Mexican biker bar where they plan to rendezvous with other criminals and let the minister and his family go. And while at the bar waiting, uh, things go awry, we'll say. Um, (laughs) It starts off as like a dark crime thriller, the type that Tarantino is known for, and pivots hard into a impossible-to-see-coming 
full-blown vampire horror B-movie. Danny Trejo plays a bartender at the bar, and he, play, he plays off all of his strengths. He's intimidating to the point of scary, and that's before he turns into a murderous, bloodthirsty vampire from the depths of hell. <laughs> if you don't like or don't expect to see a, a Tarantino movie that is like similar to like Grindhouse or Death Proof, then you won't like this movie. I first saw this movie uh, when I was nine years old, and that was because my father wanted to watch it. I am the youngest in my family by five years, so my family exposed me to movies that no child should watch at a young age because they didn't want to watch kid movies anymore. <laughs> this movie gave me a reoccurring nightmare to the point where I never watched it again until I did for this podcast. Oh. Uh, upon re-watching it, I realized that the reason this movie fucked nine-year-old me up is that the moment this movie turns into a cartoonishly gory and graphic horror movie is preceded by a four and a half minute solo dance scene by Salma Hayek that is still one of the sexiest scenes I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, um, good lord. And when Tarantino's fetishes on full display. Oh yeah. Yeah. Third grade me went from like the horniest he'd ever been and not understanding what he's watching. To the most terrified, which is like a horrific combination and wildly confusing for a nine-year-old boy to endure. But watching it as a grown man, uh, it's, it's an enjoyable movie if you understand what you're about to kind of partake in. How does your dad explain the name of the bar to nine-year-old James? When it gets to that point is where I could tell my dad was um, maybe I screwed up because like <laughs> gore is something like a crime movies. Like those are bad guys. He'll understand it. Cause I, they'd already shown me movies like that, but then when it gets to the, the titty twister and, um, and Cheech Marin's pussy rant. Yeah. Cheech Marin has a three minute rant about how, what types of pussy they have at the bar. That's when my dad was like, Oh boy. Well, we're committed now. We're an hour into the movie and, Things are taking a drastic turn here. <laughs> and then it goes from like, oh, this is kind of campy, kind of funny to like full camp horror movie where guys have uh, dicks that are guns. The band is playing corpses that are shaped into instruments. Um, and that's why you can see in its reviews. Some people are like, this is the stupidest movie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and other people are like, I love this movie because of how ridiculous it is. I appreciate this movie because it utilized some CGI, but it was before the point when the industry as a whole, but specifically Rodriguez as a director, went full bore into the digital side of things. I mean, yeah, there's CGI, but there's a whole lot of practical effects used in this movie, too. Mm -hmm. I remember watching it for the first time at a, a sleepover when I was really young, and I hadn't seen it again since last night. <laughs> it, it's a fun movie for sure. And like the cast is incredible. And yeah. it really like... That was like awesome, awesome George Clooney. And it's amazing that he goes from that to doing like other stuff. And then you have Harvey Keitel, who looks like he's doing a Steven Root impression. He looks yep. like he looks like Milton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Julia Lewis, too, just killing it. So it was a fun yeah. ass movie. I really did like him in this movie, even though it's a very, very small role. I forgot what he was going to look like. And that is like scary as hell, Danny Trail. I was like, 
yeah. yeah. That guy that guy could absolutely beat the shit out of me and like <laughs> my entire he family. He wipe all the Munsons. But at the same time, he's still got a killer smile. And if he oh, offered absolutely. you a table, you would sit down there. Yeah. Just absolutely. jacked the tattoos, the the mean grimace. And he questions them the moment they walk in. He's like, this is for bikers only. Uh, if you don't right. get out, it's like, if you don't get out, we'll pretty much kill you. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's not lying. Get out of there. <laughs> Think about how great of an actor Kaitel is. And they're having that they're having that kind of head bump about the uh, the CDL, the commercial yeah. driver's yeah. license. And it's just it was that's a, he's awesome. That movie. I agree, Warren. Spoiler alert. He gets stabbed in the heart with a stake because <laughs> he's a vampire and he turns into goo. <laughs> it, it's so cool in the documentary where where uh he's talking about showing the movie to his kids and the kids are are talking about how they uh reacted to his death scene in the movie <laughs> they loved it <laughs> <laughs> oh he stabbed you in the heart oh my god <laughs> then your eyes rolled into the pool pockets <laughs> oh that's right his eyes that's right yep. it's like someone played pool with them they make the noise and everything yep. <laughs> all right um, 97, he's in Anaconda as a poacher. Um, and then also in 97, he's in the cinematic classic, Con Air, as Johnny 23, a bit rapey. Just a bit. Some would say very. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. a bit. Just a bit rapey. Yeah, I don't think there's really an opinion on it. I think it's pretty factual. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he even announces that. <laughs> before we get into, like, Con Air and uh, one one quick note about Anaconda. Maybe the only thing that's worth noting about Anaconda is it's another instance that he has on screen with John Voight. Uh, John Voight perhaps doing the strangest accent ever committed yeah, to South screen. American accent. <laughs> it's, yeah, fr- it's like French Guiana. <laughs> Actually... It's it's fairly common to an accent that we're going to talk about uh, later on in the podcast tonight. Nice. Good teaser. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember uh, Treo said, he said this repeatedly in his interviews about Con Air. He said it was a really fun set to be on because it was all these like Hollywood wannabe tough guys, all of them together in one space that were jockeying with one another. And at one point, Nicolas Cage is like the only person here. I'm afraid of is Danny Trejo. The rest of you guys are pussies. <laughs> that is so fucking great, too. <laughs> I think I think it would have been more funny if Trejo was like, you know what? Out of all those people, Nick Cage is the only one I'm afraid of, <laughs> <laughs> which would be accurate. I would yeah. say, if asked, he might admit to just that. There's something something in that guy's eyes. Like usually, <laughs> I see life in his eyes. I don't see life. <laughs> game recognized game. Ninety eight. He's in Six Days and Seven Nights. I remember we watched that for the uh, Alice and Janney podcast. And he plays a pirate that shows up towards the end of the movie. Pretty small role, but very clearly Danny Trejo rolling in. And then uh, in 99, as John mentioned before, um, he's in Dust Till Dawn 2, Texas Blood Money. And from Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter. Man, they were pumping those out quick. That's a, that's all I can gather. Two Dust Till Dawn movies in the same year. They're uh, they're trying to capitalize on that box office. I think they were both released direct to DVD within a couple of months of each other. One, if not both of them, if I remember correctly, were directed by Scott Spiegel. And who am I acting surprised? It's Danny Trejo. He does 18 movies a year, so he's going to pop out two Dust Till Dawns. Come on. Again, we're still in 99, and we hit his lowest critic score, which is a movie called Desert Heat slash Inferno. So I think we run into another movie that has multiple titles, and Rigby's got this one. The overseas name was Desert Heat, and the, the 
release of the title in um in America was uh Inferno. So that's the discrepancy. But it's a nineteen ninety nine directive video action movie with John Claude Van Damme and obviously Danny Trejo. Other interesting actors in this movie, Pat Morita of Karate Kid Fame, Jamie Presley of Joe Dirt Fame, and Larry Drake of Darkman Fame. It's it's a very, very random, very eclectic uh cast for sure. But uh the movie re- revolves around Van Damme's character Eddie. He's a He's a war veteran with severe depression, PTSD, and guilt. And the movie opens with him driving his motorcycle to the middle of the desert, uh, presumably to end his life and commit suicide. As he's talking to himself, Trejo's character, Johnny, appears and talks to Eddie, um, trying to talk him out of it, trying to be like the the higher voice, basically. Uh, Eventually, it's revealed that Eddie is hallucinating and Johnny isn't actually there. He's just a, a guardian angel sort of talking him through the through the dark point of his life. But Basically, the movie, the movie, uh, the thrust of the movie is John Claude Van Damme when he's tr- when he's in the middle of the desert, he starts shooting a gun and it accidentally hits the truck of some gang members in the desert. They come out, they accost him, they steal his motorcycle, and they presumably leave him for dead um, until he's awoken by by Johnny Danny Trejo's character, who again is presented as a guardian angel and not somebody who's actually alive. And the rest of the movie is basically about John Clyde Van Damme uh, trying to get revenge on this local gang named the Hogan's. It sounds ridiculous, but it's actually <laughs> it's actually based off a uh, based off a Japanese movie, uh, Yojimbo, I think is what it's called. Um, or in the movie, they say Yo Jimbo. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Well, I think one of a few remakes of that movie, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I've never seen it. I kind of wish I would have had time to watch it before this because it probably would have put this a little bit more in perspective. It's not a good movie at all. It's obviously when you watch it, you can see why it's straight to video. The acting is pretty bad. One thing about Trejo's character that I think presents the biggest flaw in the movie is it's never really explicitly made clear if his character Johnny is alive or dead. Yes. I actually learned in some of the research for the movie that the film's director, who's actually the director of Rocky and the Karate Kid, so he's got some. Come on, he's got some heavyweights <laughs> under his belt. He tried to make it clear in his version of the film that Johnny is a guardian angel and a ghost and can't be seen by anybody. And the producers sort of disagreed with it, and they reworked the film to make it almost more ambiguous. Um, for example, there's a scene where Eddie fights these gang members with Johnny. Uh, by his side and the gang members fight with Johnny and even shoot him. So if he's a ghost or a guardian <laughs> angel, tell me how that's possible. Cause I really don't know. Doesn't uh, Van Damme's character go to rescue him. Yes. He goes to and rescue they ride him. Ride off on a mute on a motorcycle. Yes. And there are times when there are times when Eddie's talking to Johnny, but nobody like other people are around. They're like, who the hell are you talking to? So it's like, it's very, and it's very ambiguous whether or not, he's a guardian angel or whether he's a real person. I read in an interview that Trejo gave that in fact he was a guardian angel, but the filmmaking process was so disgruntled, I guess, for lack of a better term, that it's not really made clear. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I wanted to, I wanted to hate this movie, but for some reason I, I didn't. Um, it's kind of, kind of got like a commando aspect to it. Like we, like we mentioned earlier, you know, it's got bad acting. It's direct to video. It's got the most, one of the most random sex scenes I've ever seen in my life. Where Van Damme bangs two chicks while an old lady watches. <laughs> That's his personal life in a nutshell. What are you talking about? This old lady, she's introduced earlier in the movie, and she's like a Bible-thumping, like, 
preacher's daughter. Like she's super religious. And then he, she sees him having sex with two women and she's like, praise the Lord. It's the most random spreading joy to so many people. Right. That's what, yeah. That's was, not uh, the only thing he's spreading lady. Exactly. Exactly. It's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of lines where I'm just like, wait, what the hell just happened? Um, the two, the one thing that I really liked about this movie uh, is the soundtrack. I loved it. I was like super into it. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Dead Man with Johnny Depp. It's a Jim oh, Jar- yeah. Jim Jarmusch movie. Neil, Neil Young soundtrack. One, on one of the most despised movies of my life, but the soundtrack is like one of my favorite scores ever from for a movie. So, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of movies that have uh, memorable music in them. So this is why I didn't totally despise this movie. But overall, it was it was not not one that I would rewatch because uh, it's so ridiculous and obviously has a lot of plot holes and bad acting and you could tell it was just a it was a mess from the moment that they yelled action, um, which I think explains its direct to video and why Van Damme you know really he this is this is a the late nineties early two thousands I mean I don't I think his career was pretty much wrapped up by then so this is when the direct-to-video stuff started to happen but trejo's uh he's a sympathetic guardian angel guy i mean i if if he was my guardian angel i'd be pretty happy because like i said he's got a good presence on film but uh the rest of the movie there doesn't do it any favors i don't think two things this is this is probably one of the first instances that i remember seeing just like chronologically where trejo was playing a flat-out good guy Mm-hmm. Like there's there's no question about it. His character is a good guy, and that was unusual up to this point. But then again, also something that that kind of brings this movie into question is the character of Mr. Singh, Vincent Schiavelli in in brown face, feigning basically an Apu accent. <laughs> uh, another reason that this movie probably wouldn't or couldn't be made today. I would hope they wouldn't make it today because it's awful. (laughs) Well, that ends the 90s for Shreyo. And as we get into 2000s, we run into uh, little Ben Affleck in Reindeer Games. And Shreyo plays Jumpy. He gets shot by Dennis Farina after he opens the powwow save at the end of the movie. He doesn't have a lot of lines. His role is to basically intimidate Ben Affleck the whole movie. Yeah, it's it's a a guilty pleasure for me, for sure. Remember it from role models more than anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Shut up, reindeer game. <laughs> reindeer game. I am white, so um, <laughs> you are white. We we are white. Also, two thousand Animal Factory. I will say in my research of Danny Trejo, the a lot of the first ones I watched were just really, really, really bad movies that we're not going to mention on this podcast. Um, and this was the first one in the line of many where I was like, "This isn't a halfway bad movie." Uh, he plays a character named Vito, a prisoner right up his alley. And he's also an executive producer on the project. It had a really cool cast in it. Willem Dafoe plays the main character. Eddie Furlong's in it. Who else is in it? Tom Arnold. I I pulled it up on on the end here. He has his five favorite movies listed. This is one of his favorite five movies of all time. And it's it's the only one he's in. So I think it goes to say something about his background. And all that leads up to 2001. And uh, he gets cast in a little bit of a different role. Than some of the yeah. stuff we've seen before in Spy Kids. And this is his largest critic app in case it's got this one. Warren gets typecasted in period pieces, and apparently I get typecasted in spy movies, as this is the <laughs> third spy movie I've reviewed for the podcast. <laughs> and it's a quite a bit different one. But this is a uh, Spy Kids is a 2001 family spy film 
written, directed, and produced by Robert Rodriguez. Danny Trejo and Rodriguez have worked together in over 40 titles, and this is the sixth of their collaborations. Robert Rodriguez had to push hard for the family in this movie to be Latino. The studio initially pushed uh, on him for the family to be quote-unquote American, and Rodriguez insisted they are American. They're based on my family. (laughs) <laughs> because the story was inspired by Rodriguez's uncle, Gregorio Rodriguez, who has had a successful career with the FBI. And at a, a recent Comic-Con, a virtual Comic-Con, Rodriguez said there were no roles being written for Latinos at the time back in 1999, nor were they being cast. If I wasn't Latin, I would have given up the fight. When you're doing anything that's new, this just happens to be about diversity. You're going to get a question and you have to have a good answer. They weren't trying to be dicks or anything. They've just never seen it before. And the studio was really concerned that that the box office was going to do poorly, but it ended up doing quite well. And had Rodriguez not fought for the film, you know, he was envisioning, I mean, we may not have a, a Danny Trejo arc that we have now because the character in this movie is Machete. There is a little bit of connection here. Because the character in, in Spy Kids was actually a wink to the insiders in the movie business that Rodriguez was friends with that knew about an unproduced screenplay that he had written titled Machete. And so getting into the movie, Antonio Banderas plays Gregorio and Carla Gugino plays Ingrid, who are rival spies that fall in love, get married, and they have two children, Carmen and Junie. And Carmen and Junie are actually inspired by Robert's actual brother and sister. The two children are unaware that their parents are spies. Parents work for the Organization of Super Spies, also known as OSS. Banderas and Gugino are called back into active duty because several agents have gone missing, and Gregorio suspects that a children's TV show played by Alan Cummings named Fegan Floop is behind the disappearances. While trying to crack the case, Gregorio and Ingrid are captured. So the, the parents are captured. The children then are alerted that their parents have been captured by Cheech Marin, who works for OSS. Later in the movie, the children seek the assistance of of Gregorio's estranged brother, Isidore Machete Cortez, played by Danny Trejo. He refuses to accompany the children to save their parents, so they steal some of his gear and take his spy plane to Floop's castle in order to save their parents. Throughout the whole thing, the, the children storm the castle. They're, they're trying to get their parents. So finally, they get their parents, and they're kind of cornered by all the by 500 robots. And that's when Treo's character basically helps save the day. And it's the first time in the movie that the whole Cortez family is fighting together. Treo plays the tough older brother of Antonio Banderas, who's no-nonsense and clearly holds a grudge, which, by the way, we're never told what the grudge was. Um, as far as his performance, this is probably Trejo's first role as that kinder, softer character, kind of a kind of a family-friendly version of himself. And I think he does fine, you know, outside of the fact that he's he's playing opposite of his typecasting. He doesn't have to do a lot in this movie. I was shocked that this movie had a critic ranking of 93. When I read the notes for the podcast, I thought I had the opposite version. I thought it was a fan rating of 93. I had to watch it again, guys, to see what I missed. So I went in and I read some critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and I found one that that kind of bridges the gap for me. And it's uh, by B. Ruby Rich from The Nation. B. Ruby Rich wrote, Spy Kids is no doubt the very film that Rodriguez wishes he could have seen as a kid and that he's now determined to give his own children. Putting everything kind of in that light, I guess I can make sense. But I, 
am 100% not on the side of critics with this movie. I watched this for the first time a week ago, and I think that somebody heard Rodriguez say that, and then everybody just ran with it, and then they feel yeah. bad to say anything bad about it. And that's, <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what blows about, quote, critics, because yeah. they all go one way or the other. I, I can put this into perspective. Go for it. Oh, please do. Before Spy Kids was made, I worked on a set with Robert Rodriguez. I had some interaction with him here and there throughout the Austin film scene. At one point, he had told me that he wanted to make a film that his kids could go see. Because up until that point in his career, everything that he had worked on had been stuff that wasn't appropriate for kids. And when he told me that, I was like, oh, all right, well, fuck yeah, I'll support that. And so when this movie came out, I took my daughter, who at the time was either nine or ten years old, to go see it. We went and watched it in the theater, and she loved it. And I loved it because she loved it. And it was mm-hmm. uh, it was someone that I, you know, at, at least knew in passing, doing something completely different. Yeah. Going back and watching it at this point... Like, there's a lot of the movie that doesn't work for me as an adult watching it away from a child. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of things where you can see that this is kind of where Rodriguez veered away from filmmaking as in, like, 35 millimeter filmmaking and filmmaking as in it's all digital. And there are also some things about this movie that are like, hey, I see aspects of old Austin here things that have been overgrown and forgotten. There are aspects of this movie that even at this point, almost 20 years down the road, going back, I can watch and enjoy, but it's not what I would call a good movie. If you took out everything dealing with floop and the fluglies and the thumbs, (laughs) the movie is very entertaining. Like Antonio Banderas is, as James loves to say, he was a snack and he was damn charming. <laughs> they played on so many of those spy tropes and things that they even made the kids do. And they were they were very funny. But then the second when it changes, you got uh, Mike Judge, I believe, playing one of the, the Fooglies. Yep. Yep. And, then, yep. and then you've got the T-1000 playing, playing a Foogly as well. Which he had previously worked with at, in the faculty. Yeah. And so like if if you took if you took out those parts which granted it's like 50 minutes, you know, the the rest of the movie is it's very very entertaining and very fun and you get all those feelings of like the helicopters invading the the wedding. It is completely over the top and fake, but that fits Robert Rodriguez in my mind. Like that is the it's almost like mixing the the grindhouse feel to it. And and I, I I enjoyed that stuff. The one thing I would note from this, uh, from that inmate number one documentary, from a casting perspective, they talked a lot about how uh, taking this hard ass Danny Trejo normal character and putting him in this role would just flip every flip the audiences on on its end because they wouldn't yeah. expect it. You know, acting alongside these young kids. So that's the one thing I would. It's almost an ironic casting. Yep. So that decade, so the two thousands. I'm gonna breeze through this he's it's an extremely busy decade for him but we're gonna hit the highlights so 2001 he's in bubble boy is slim he's in one four minute scene in that one he's in triple x as el jefe 2002 
following that, we see a couple more Spy Kids movies taking advantage of that box office numbers. Spy Kids 2, The Island of Lost Dreams in 02. Spy Kids 3, Game Over in 03. We have The Salton Sea in 02 as well. And then uh, he was in Once Upon a Time in Mexico in 2003. Once Upon a Time in Mexico, he was Kukui, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kukui, I don't know if anybody else is familiar with it, but that's, as far as I understand, being a white guy who lives in Texas, I, I think that is like a uh, kind of a boogeyman figure um, for the the Mexican-American community down south. It is a myth that was basically a tall, furry, red-eyed creature that had a large red ear, which you could use here, children that are misbehaving. It's like the chupacabra, but for Texas. <laughs> I feel like this is a continuation of his character from Desperado, but with actual lines. Right, right. I, I think you're right in a lot of ways. 2004, he's an anchorman as a bartender once again. And then 05, uh, he's in The Devil's Rejects as Rondo, a uh, Rob Zombie project. I love this movie. I don't know how anybody else feels about it. I like Trejo's character was a really nice twist in this genre. And I really enjoyed the twist Rob Zombie made with uh, Trejo's character. I'm not a fan overall of of Rob Zombie's movies. From anybody that you hear that has worked with him, it's like one of the best sets to be on. He's kind and open to actors and just a great person to work with. I just have a problem. Like, he can't write. If he would direct someone's scripts who was a, an accomplished script writer, I would probably enjoy his films. But out of his movies, Devil's Rejects is one of the two that I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really strange to see to see another director working with Trejo similar to the way that Rodriguez does, because Rodriguez uses Trejo in very similar roles in different movies, although they're not the same character. And Zombie has done the same thing over two or three different films. He's in Sherry Baby as Dean Walker. Haven't seen it. I don't know if any of you have, but I know they mentioned in the documentary that this is one of his better dramatic roles and definitely a little bit of a turn from the types of roles he was taking at this point in his career. He did talk about how proud he was of his work yep. in that movie. Yep. We couldn't run it down, but again, there's 400 movies, so you're not going to see everything. And if we had, you'd um, question our uh, our lives at this point in time. You know, he's in the, the, the classic Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror as Derelict in 2006, and uh, also in Slayer as Montaigne. I'm going to guess Montaigne? Montaigne is a good guess. Montaigne. I said, I said Joe, Joe Montaigne. Montaigne. <laughs> <laughs> he was a quarterback, you idiot. And, <laughs> and this is connected to um, some music video appearances as well, right, John? This was kind of like a long-form music video that was filmed called uh, Slayer the Repentless Killogy, if I remember correctly. 2007, he's in Smiley Face as Albert and also in Grindhouse as Machete. So we see a little bit more of the Machete character. Yeah, that's also worth worth talking to right now. Uh, Machete makes the jump from uh, kids movie star to uh, exploitation movie figure. Uh, it was two or three minutes in between the main features of the Grindhouse double feature. Delta Farce in 2007, a little Larry the Cable Guy to you know give you your uh, your cinematic fix. He played Carlos Santana. 
not uh, not of the uh, guitar playing fame. <laughs> oh, um, so it wasn't related? I don't <laughs> think so. Someone would have to fact check me on that one. Um, and then another, well, I lied. We are talking about another Rob Zombie project, and that's Halloween. Uh, he played Ismael Cruz. He gets uh, murdered by Michael Myers. He's the one good character who's trying to help Mikey out. And Mikey, you yeah. know. Thank just... you. He is the only decent character in that entire fucking movie, and he gets murdered for no reason. The only consolation, though, is he was not killed directly by Michael Myers' hands. He was killed by a TV <laughs> that Michael true. Myers threw on him. So <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's how that's how he spared him. <laughs> This is true. Uh, and then to round, <laughs> round out to 2000s, we have Fanboys in 09 and iBorgs in 2009. All that takes us to uh, Largest Audience Gap. And it's uh, 2010's The Killing Jar. So kicking off the 2010s in Warren, um, I'm sure it's just going to tell us and blow us our minds about this one. Uh, 2010 movie absolutely sucks. Uh, <laughs> they filmed this between like... Michael Madsen smoking packs of cigarettes and you know <laughs> his voice his voice gets like progressively raspier and he gets like pissed off I think at everybody in in this diner the whole thing takes place in a diner in a made up town and Michael Madsen shows up in this diner and there's a report that there's a killer on the loose and all these people think it's him because he's dressed in black and all this crap. The movie is so goddamn dumb. The acting is terrible. Treo, is, he owns the diner. And there's a ton of flubs with, like, they show a scene. It's, like, continuity stuff. They show a scene. There's two pies on the counter. And then they go do something else. And they come back. And he's putting one of the pies on the counter after he just made it. And then it goes back and shows other people. And it shows they had moved. So the directing's terrible. I couldn't find anything else that the director had done. There's a hilarious part. Uh, Gary Busey's son, Jake, is... Uh, Jake is Busey it. from yeah. The Frighteners. Yeah. There's a scene where Madsen beats the shit out of him. And uh, he's interrogating Busey. He's tied up. Then he puts like a burlap sack on his head. And they they look, show Madsen like his face as he's putting it on him. And then they go back and it is clearly not jake Busey. it's like this really small guy that's sitting there now so it makes uh <laughs> madsen look a lot bigger and the whole thing he's he pulls out a club and starts hitting him in the head and the the swings are so comedic and he's like grunting as he swings this baton and he's hitting him in the head and it's just Busey going oh Oh, ow. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's just, you know, it's, it, it's so dumb. And then it, it cuts to the next scene, and Busey is standing there with the burlap sack is off his head, and they're just talking. And there's no bruises, there's no blood or anything on his face. Uh, everyone dies, or just about everyone dies. Um, and, you know, Treo gets shot in the face by a shotgun. And uh, the it, it's hilarious. <laughs> so uh, I just went. I, I went and found a, a quote. Andrew Barker of Variety called it a quote a, sp- a spectacularly boring chamber thriller. And some other guy goes called it a quote a bland thriller with reheated characters and stock dialogue that's as crisp and fresh as yesterday's chicken and biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's not like a saying I've ever heard. Is like, oh yeah, no. they got Bowser Fresh is chicken and biscuits. You know, it's not a thing. The movie's terrible. Uh, it's got a zero on Rotten Tomatoes, rightfully so. Oof. It was a zero and a fifty-four audience. Compassion. That's all that is, I guess. So the cast and crew loved it. Yeah, yeah. We got a, we got a bunch of morons out here, people. <laughs> It's a complete piece of shit. And Danny Trejo's parts <laughs> <laughs> Danny Trejo's parts seemed like they were filmed when nobody else was there. Because unless <laughs> I'm forgetting something, the only things that you see with Trejo are him behind a diner like uh you know, back window putting food up. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you see anyone else with Trejo. So it very well could be that nobody else was there. Yeah, now that you mention that, he definitely wasn't there. <laughs> hey guys, it only took four hundred thousand to make, so that's positive. <laughs> yeah. You know, four hundred thousand, so that's uh <laughs> what, eighty eighty thousand packs of cigarettes? <laughs> <laughs> What does that convert to in cocaine? <laughs> yeah. God, he is he's a fucking mess. Madsen's got some doozies, man. He's got some really bad movies in his filmography. Yeah. And this is one of them. Would gladly not do him ever. I was about to say y'all should have to do him now. <laughs> Go watch Species and uh, <laughs> enjoy it. Thanks, Warren. Uh, appreciate your uh, sacrifice this week. Yeah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, redeeming himself in 2010, though, he was in uh, Predators, which we talked about on the uh, Mahershala Ali Movie Rocks. episode. Predators is a just a great turn-your-brain-off-you-don't-need-to-know-the-plot action horror movie. This one is different than the others in that all of the elite killers in the world, one from each group, is selected and dropped on a planet where they're hunted by the Predators, and... Danny Trejo is the Mexican cartel elite killer, and he is dropped in there with all the other factions. Like all the other factions, he is murdered in glorious ways. He makes a uh, an appearance in a video game in Call of Duty Black Ops 2 in 2010 as himself. So that's a, that's a cool little moment for him. He entered the video game sphere in a huge franchise from Wait, the video game he side. Pl- so he plays Danny Trejo, so it's like Call yep. of Duty, the army game and it's like oh and here's famous actor danny trejo i think he's in a campaign mode as as himself and that uh takes us to our munson's choice so if you're a first-time listener the way this works we uh we ask our guests to uh, choose a movie outside of our categories as john and i were talking through options it it seemed like machete was the best option considering how big this movie has been for his career well you're absolutely right this this movie has pretty much been the latter-day definition of Danny Trejo's career to the point where even in the uh, the documentary, like he he's driving down the street and people are talking to him and he's he's yep. calling himself Uncle Machete. <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard anecdotally that his mom even calls him Machete or or like his family members call him Machete. So that that's fucking great. So this movie has kind of a strange um, growth. Machete, the character, first popped up in Spy Kids, which I think was released Mm -hmm. in 2001, probably filmed either the year before or that year, so 2000-2001. He next popped up in the fake movie trailers in Grindhouse between the main features. So uh, Grindhouse, depending on where you saw it, was either... Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror 
followed by Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof or vice versa. And in between those two features, they had three or four different trailers. In some markets, they also added additional trailers. Uh, But one of the trailers that played with all of them was a Robert Rodriguez-directed trailer for Machete. Evidently, Rodriguez and uh, had been asked by a number of fans, in addition to Danny Trejo, when this movie was going to be made. He finally made it, leading up to the 2010 release. Going into even the opening credits, you know what you're in for. It spells it out. It, it, the, the credit for introducing Don Johnson is pretty fucking great. Mm-hmm. And then it rolls into the film... And it introduces you to the dirtier version of the Machete character. He's not the family-friendly guy that you saw in Spy Kids. He is a Mexican federale that is driving right into the heat of the moment. His partner gets killed. He doesn't give a shit. He picks up a chopped-off hand that's holding a revolver, uh, uses the finger to shoot some guys in the face. Uh, He walks into a room. He's surrounded by bad guys. You see it from up above. He takes his, you know, fucking machete out and cuts off heads in a circle around him. And then you're introduced to one of the main bad guys of the film, Steven Seagal, doing one of the most like what the fuck accents and interpretations you have ever seen. But basically, Machete witnesses his wife getting killed. You don't see his daughter getting killed, but it's pretty clearly telegraphed that his daughter is killed by this group of criminals as well. Um, And then it fast forwards to, you know, a few years later, and I don't know if it identifies it as being in Austin, but anybody who's lived in Austin can immediately recognize where this movie is taking place. And Danny Trejo as Machete, he's basically a day laborer. He's hanging out in a day laborer site. Michelle Rodriguez is in a taco truck selling tacos. Trejo is kind of contracted for a very huge sum of cash to take out a hit on an American senator who is painfully obvious to what we see today uh so machete goes to do the job but realizes he's been set up and that just kind of ignites this whole chase which involves his brother padre benicio del toro played by cheech marin if i'm not mistaken this is the first movie where uh, Steven Seagal has been killed on screen. That was the only fact I was about to share is uh, he's the only actor in history to kill Steven Seagal in a movie or TV show. Wow. That's- then you can kind of debate. It's like, okay, well, he did it, but then Seagal like twisted it. And the way he kills Seagal is so funny. He stabs him right through the chest and Seagal grabs the knife in the middle of his chest and like gives a monologue for like a good three minutes and then pulls the knife instead of straight out to the side uh, and like yeah. chops himself in half. He does the seppuku. But <laughs> Seagal is the worst in this fucking movie. He is terrible. <laughs> he is the worst fucking actor or performance that I have ever seen. And I've watched terrible movies. Um, <laughs> like everyone that he talks to in every other word, he basically calls them punieta. 
Yeah, it's it's awful. I thought the movie was so purposely bad that it was wildly entertaining. Yeah, because an exploitation film, right? Like it's Absolutely. over the top. There's a scene in the hospital where you hear exactly what you're saying. the nurses talking about how long a human in, uh, small intestine is and how it's about 60, 60 feet. <laughs> and the next time you see Machete, he cuts open one of the bad guy's stomachs, pulls out his small intestine, and then like uses it to like bungee jump off the building to get to another floor <laughs> which, which also brings in the fact that uh tom savini comes in as uh what is his name osiris Amonpour. yeah he's sex machine in uh from dust till dawn oh yeah he is with the double dong revolver on his yeah dick. he's got the dick gun <laughs> <laughs> the cool thing about this movie from that documentary is when he he talks about the story with De Niro, where he shows up on set and De Niro's like, yep. "You're number one, you're number one, <laughs> you're number one on the call sheet. Like you're the guy." And he's like, "Man, De Niro's sitting here telling me I'm the, the top build actor, and this is De Niro. Like, come on!" So just a huge mark for his career in 2010. That is really cool. So that's about 15 years or so in between Heat and Machete, yep. but to see them come back into each other's orbits and to hear the story about what a difference it was that's really fucking cool yeah machete certainly has become a hallmark of his career and that's how he's recognized by a lot of folks the documentary shows like he'll fucking be riding down the street and just talking to people and be like uncle machete says you need to go to school (laughs) (laughs) he still lives in pacoima he's he's still living in his hometown he is all about that neighborhood and Mm -hmm. giving back to it It's so incredible. Like, I may have mentioned this a little bit earlier, but earlier this year, after COVID had shut everything down, there is a horror movie convention that I go to pretty much every year these days, except for Hellscape 2020. And uh, he was going to be one of the guests in the one that got postponed from this year. They did a live stream with him. You know, I I had heard things about him. I had never met him. But I was one of about 15 people that was on this live stream. His interaction with people in that environment was exactly what you saw in the in the documentary. So genuine. Like it gave me such a respect for him that I don't think I had ever had before that moment. He was so just giving and grateful and open that it it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. My admittedly limited experience with him just reinforces what you see in that documentary. Yep. Well, we've got one big tranche of a decade before we hit our final movie review, and that's highest critic score. So I'm going to try to buzz through these. So 2010, we see his first of a couple appearances in the Death Race universe in Death Race 2 and 3. He's in a very Harold and Kumar Christmas as Mr. Perez. Plays uh, the father that uh, Harold has to impress. Oh, that's right. So he's playing in the comedic world there. And then 2012, he's in Badass as Frank. My perspective on Treo is in a lot of films, he's typecast character actor. So you don't see a ton of depth. You don't get to see him do a whole lot with the characters, at least from an emotional standpoint. Badass, I think, gives him, and there's been a couple other badass films after that. Badasses 2 and with Danny Glover. Right? He's, he's gone on this in all these territories, but that character, I think, actually has some legitimate character depth, has an arc to it. You know, he gets the girl in the movie, which is a little 
odd considering the age difference in that one. Uh, not quite as believable, but kind of a cool little franchise that he was a part of. And then after that, we see Rise of the Zombies as Captain Caspian in 2012. We got uh, Zombie Hunter in 2013. Those movies, if you're looking for bad dialogue, bad special effects, and questionable acting, you'll love those movies. <laughs> and you'll likely find them between Mega Shark 17 and Giant Octopus 8 on the Sci-Fi <laughs> Channel on a, <laughs> at, at 3 in the morning on a, uh, on a Friday night. There you go. <laughs> they were entertaining to watch, but you'll see him on the Sci-Fi Channel. That, that says it all. We're not going to cover a lot of his horror movies that he's in, but a lot of them are low budget and just bad. So I think those mm-hmm. exemplify it pretty well. Machete Kills in 2013. It's so a little bit more of that universe. And then Muppets Most Wanted. He plays himself in 2014, which is a, kind of a fun satire of his character acting. Everybody else has like prisoner names and Tina Fey calls him Danny Trejo. And so I, I thought that was a fun little m- meta chop at himself. Wasn't that also the role where he was away from home filming it and he found out that his mother had died? Yep, he was filming it, which is like a song and dance role too. So it's artificial happiness. That story where he talks all about it is fucking heartbreaking. It hurts, man. It's tough. When I heard that shit, I cried. It's like, oh, damn, you're going to do machete like that? I'm, I'm sad. The other cool part about that is you guys see that Kermit meme online all the time where it's like Kermit looking at himself in a like a hooded sweatshirt. That's from that movie. So, again, <laughs> learn little things about memes from the world. His Russian counterpart, Constantine, from Muppets Most Wanted. So I enjoyed that one. We've got The Burning Dead. He plays a character named Nightwolf. Uh, this is... One of many of his terrible movies. It's got a 2.2 on IMDb. The acting's terrible. I just point this out because there's a scene with a grandfather and granddaughter where she's trying to be compassionate and have empathy, but her acting is so bad it comes off like she's flirting with her grandpa. And I'm Jeez. I was sitting there going like, wait, wait, is are they related? Like, is she trying to hit on this old guy? Yeah. And eventually, it's revealed it's her grandfather. Dude, I was so confused. I was like, what? she's is she flirting with him like i I can't figure this out (laughs) but uh, 2015 we see vanish the only reason i mentioned this is because one of the other actors on our wheel tony todd he makes an appearance as a cop in that one so i got a little bit of tony Tony todd Todd is fucking great love tony todd he plays a skeptical cop who pulls him over in the van tony todd is another one of those motherfuckers like danny who has been in a whole lot of shitty movies and he does everything that he can to be good to people. Well, uh, he was in this fucking shithole of a movie, I'll give you that. <laughs> so We see uh, From Dust Till Dawn, the series, as we mentioned earlier, 2015. Plays a different character called The Regulator. Also 2015, one of the worst movies I've ever seen in The Ridiculous Six. He plays a character <laughs> named Cicero. That was a Netflix Adam Sandler movie, correct? Oh, oh, yeah. He's in a Super Bowl commercial in 2015 for Snickers, which... Takes us back a little bit to the Brady Bunch conversation last time, where he uh, plays Marsha. Yeah, commercial's pretty funny. Those Snickers commercials are, are awesome. I love those. Yeah. You have some classic ones, but, you know, big time in the Super Bowl sphere. Around this time is when he launched his first restaurant, Treo's Tacos. And he has since also created two others in Treo's Cantina and Treo's Coffee and Donuts. So he's a business person running some businesses outside of his uh, day-to-day life, which I don't know how he finds time to do that, considering he's acting every day, seemingly. Mm-hmm. He must put in some work in the uh, local airport near Pacoima. Well, the cool thing about that is like, he has business partners, 
But he told them that he's willing to let them run the business as long as he always maintains quality control. Yep. Whatever they want to put on the menu, he has to taste and approve first. That's pretty fucking cool. I mean, he sees a legend outside of this space. A couple other movies in 2016. He's in Halloween, you know, because uh, why not? And then he's in a movie called Cyborg X, which has uh, another appearance by our boy Wayne Gretzky, a.k.a. Adam Johnson, who we talked about in the, the Dr. Limp Tooth um, review last time, um, <laughs> a.k.a. Vamp You. And then uh, in 2019, if he hadn't done enough, he also revealed he uh, battled cancer. So the dude is, uh, is dealt with some serious shit outside of uh, trying to be a busy actor. And all that leads to uh, 2019 and uh, his highest critic score, which is uh, Dora. In the Lost City of Gold. I can't believe that I watched this. I did too, and um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll hit it. Surprise, fellas! I didn't watch Dora as a growing up. It wasn't a wasn't a part of it. You know, I watched a bunch of Brady Bunch, I guess, but not the Dora world. For being highest critic score, it's got an eighty five eighty eight split on Rotten Tomato, so it's pretty high on both ends. At the time, I don't know if it still is, but it was the highest scoring live-action adaptation of a cartoon on Rotten Tomatoes at one point, which is pretty impressive when you look across the board. It was directed by James Bobin, who also did Muppets Most Wanted, which we mentioned. The cast is cool. I mean, Eugenio Derbez is in it. I really enjoy stuff he's in. Benicio Del Toro plays Swiper. Michael Peña and Ava Longoria play her parents. Tamira Morrison's in it. Uh, And Mark Wahlberg's nephew, Jeff Wahlberg, is in it. You would never be able to tell by looking at him. Family blood. The humor of the movie is all in this idea of cultural assimilation. Not terribly different from the Brady Bunch, but the concept of it is a little bit of a satire of the original show and, you know, Dora breaking the fourth wall to engage the audience, engage kids in questions. So the one part, she she looks, you know, at the camera and goes, can you repeat after me? Can you say severe neurotoxicity? As in reference to a poisonous frog. So little things like that, kind of humorous. When she first moves to L.A. to stay with her cousin, she sleeps outside like she would in the jungle of Peru. Uh, and all she sees in the sky is a police chopper that's screaming at a fugitive on the loose. And so that I found that pretty humorous, too. Um, the concept of the movie is, is very basic. Dora moves to the city and is a fish out of water. She is kidnapped with her friends by some nefarious mercenary types. To help find Dora's parents and lead the bad guys to the city of gold because, you know, they just want money. At one point, they make a kick over to the animation. They get high on some spores that they think is going to kill them, but it turns uh, turns them into their cartoon versions from the original Dora show. So that was kind of funny. Like, some of the shit that we watched this week just reminded me of how fucked up kids' movies really are. No <laughs> kidding. Um, it's like the kids' version of National Treasure, just not nearly as cool. Dude, I was about to say, it sounds like National Treasure mixed with Jungle to Jungle. Yep. I wouldn't give it in the 80 or 90 territory, but I think 60 to 70. For someone who didn't watch Dora and couldn't really stand the parts that I knew about it, um, because I'm not five and trying to learn Spanish. Maybe you should, bro. <laughs> Maybe I should have watched Dora and I'd, <laughs> I'd be better off. But I, I appreciated that they did some homage to the, the show's origins and they didn't whitewash the story. There was a lot of uh, Mexican or Hispanic or Latino actors in the movie and the, the Incas were Native American actors and actresses. Um, so I appreciate that because it could be very easy to go Scarlett Johansson style on it and put a bunch of white people in those roles and, and call it call it a Saturday. Treo's, he plays Boots. He has 
basically one line in the entire movie. I was like, where the fuck is Danny Trejo? You're stealing my shit, John. I, I, one thing I was going to say. He, at the 112 mark, he has literally like a paragraph of dialogue and that's it. The reason it's complicated is because, as Warren said, what, a monkey's not supposed to talk in real life? Like, what the fuck? The whole time she's like, you know, she can obviously talk to Boots in the television show and this is supposed to be real but at one point they're staring at each other like having this moment and all of a sudden the monkey just has Danny Trejo's deep ass voice saying something inspirational and then it just stops and she goes what the fuck like what just happened and then you never hear from Danny Trejo again he who knows he might have been making the monkey noises the whole movie and if he is congrats you sound pretty accurate for what monkey noises sound like are we saying he's a guardian angel in this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in a lot of ways based on the plot you you can make that case it does he so. get shot <laughs> no no monkeys are harmed in the filming of this movie unfortunately unfortunately but. dude bro <laughs> what's this guy's deal they say at the end that only one animal was was harmed and uh and it's fine now all right we're gonna round this thing out with the rest of his film filmography because I don't think there's really anything else to say about Dora. Three from Hell in 2019, he played Rondo. And then, uh, as we had aforementioned, uh, the documentary, Inmate Number 1, The Rise of Danny Trejo, which you should absolutely go watch. It will do a much better job of explaining his background in life than we ever could. We've hit all of his film work. Going to really briefly hit his TV and his music video appearances. And so, on the TV side, he's in around 10 shows where he has recurring characters. But the main ones we're going to note are King of the Hill, 2003 to 2007, and also 2010. The character of Octavio was actually completely designed and based around Danny Trejo. So some pop culture uh, impact there. He was a bartender once again in The Young and the Restless, so doing some soaps. And then uh, he was in Sons of Anarchy as Romero Romeo Parada from 2011 to 2012. He's a cartel uh, member in that, and he actually turns out to be a... Spoiler alert, as a CIA operative. <laughs> I, I, I think we're okay with that spoiler. That'll work. And then in terms of just brief TV appearances, so not terribly dissimilar from Gary Cole. He's in a lot of big shows. So he was in Baywatch, Nash Bridges, NYPD Blue, Walker, Texas Ranger, X-Files, Alias, Monk, George Lopez, Desperate Housewives. A lot of crossover with Gary Cole, not necessarily in the same episodes. Burn Notice. He was in Breaking Bad from 2009 to 2010. He has like one of the most memorable death scenes in that the name of his character is Tortuga, which means turtle. And Hell yes. when the cartel inevitably kills him, they put his head on a t- name on it and the FBI finds it. Well, that's pretty vicious, man. Modern Family, Bones, The Cleveland Show, NCIS, Rick and Morty, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Family Guy, Flash. Uh, just some great shows. And then um, he makes a cameo in uh, most recently What We Do in the Shadows. He plays uh, a vampire alongside uh, Evan Rachel Wood and uh, fucking uh, Blade. Wesley Snipes. Snipes, yep. Yeah, it's a great show and it's a fun little cameo for him and... Uh, a bunch of others. If anyone for any reason has avoided watching it, then you should get over yourself and do it right now and watch that shit. Turn this off, go to Hulu, and participate. And then music videos, just real quick. He was in music videos for Kid Frost, Sepultura, Mob Deep, Rehab, 
Plastilina Mosh. The Plastilina Mosh, I mentioned that because it was a Mexican alt-rock band and the song was called Danny Trejo. You know, a little, little tribute to the man. Yellow Wolf, Enrique Iglesias, Train, and Slayer. He was his character in Machete in Train's Angel in Blue, Blue Jeans as well, so the uh, character continues there. The last thing I'll note, uh, I mentioned earlier, his one of his five favorite films uh, was Animal Factory. His others were Searchers, in 1956, Ooh. Death Wish, 1974, Dirty Harry, 71, and Once Upon a Time in the West, 68. Judge that as you will. That's to his five favorite films. Good so. movies. Top performances, what do you got? The one adjective that comes to mind when I think of uh, Danny Trejo is badass. And so I was lucky to to find a list from Cinema Blend from January 2020 that lists Danny Trejo's top five most badass roles. I think we can all guess what number one is. Spy Kids. <laughs> good, good guess. Dora. Good guess. But uh, I think it's obvious that it's uh, Machete. Machete. Yep. Like you said, he's recognized on the street for it, so that makes sense. If anybody wants to guess two, three, four, and five, and it's also, I will m- mention that um, it includes television roles. Desperado. Uh, Desperado is number two. Surprisingly, nice. he doesn't even uh, doesn't even have much dialogue. Yeah, but he's badass in that movie. Most communication is nonverbal. <laughs> Bubble Boy. No. <laughs> <laughs> From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, it's good. Uh, that is number five. Razor Conner? Charlie. Yep, Razor Charlie is number five. Nice. Conair. Conair is not on there. Actually, Conair Con is an honorable mention, okay. but not in the top five. Right, not bad. There's got to be a TV show in there somewhere. Yeah, right? there is. Breaking Bad? Breaking Bad, Tortuga. Number three. I was going to say Sons of Anarchy, but his uh, <laughs> the fact that he works for the CIA kind of spoils his badassery, in my opinion. So number four. Is that a word? Uh, I just made it up, but it, it, it works. <laughs> number four is obvious when you hear the title. Badass. Badass. Be badass, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> nice guess, Warren. Yeah. Good job, good job Warren. I'm one, good for one. I'm one for one. Kiss it. You know, because he's got so many roles um, and, you know, a few of them are, are more recognizable than the others. I think this list was pretty, pretty easy to guess this week. Sometimes that's okay. Yep. Thanks, Rick. All right, we're going to get into the Munson meter. If you are a first-time listener, the way this works, we rank each actor on a scale of 0 to 100. The categories we base that on, dependent on the Munson, is longevity, how long they've been in the game. We look at their project choices. We look at pop culture impact. We examine their acting range. We look at awards. They have other talents, their personal life, their comedic chops, and what their box office uh, looks like. So with all that said, we're going to get started with James. I will gladly admit that I think my ranking would have been drastically lower if I had not watched Inmate Number 1, The Rise of Danny Trejo, the documentary that talks about his life and it focuses on him. I say that because ranking his career is interesting because there seems to be like middle ground with him. Does he have a wide range of roles? Not really. Does he have name recognition? Not really. Face recognition, absolutely, but I don't Mm. think name recognition. Is he often leading man? Only a handful of times in the hundreds of films he's done. Or it's nothing of of significance at all. Um, Recently, I think he's won some awards, but they're nothing major. But where he is legendary is his longevity and in his personal life. Trail's like the walking embodiment of the American dream. He's the ultimate underdog. He's a minority with first-generation immigrant parents, grew up poor, drug addicted, 
uh, became a champion boxer in prison, sobered up, became a substance abuse counselor, and eventually a Hollywood star. Learning about him from that documentary completely blew me away. It is a really inspiring story and super emotional. He's the ultimate redemption story. Uh, he doesn't care about being typecast as a criminal because, as he said, I am a criminal. For half my life, I went to prison for being the bad guy, and now I get paid to be the bad guy. I respect that. If you look him up in the news, you'll read amazing stories that happened like just this year. So when I was looking up facts for him, I found out that when COVID hit, he's been distributing food to the homeless and healthcare workers from his restaurants and taco trucks that he's owned. And six months prior to COVID actually happening, lockdown, uh, he was in the news for rescuing a special needs child from a car accident that he saw take place at the age of 75. Like he's not a mm -hmm. young man. That stuff is inspiring because this is completely subjective and I get to weight the scale however I like. His life outside of acting is what makes me give him the score that I know is going to be on the higher, which is 75. Okay. Rigby. Uh, yeah, James, you kind of hit it on the head. He's obviously, his, the wealth of his movies that he's been in is, is insanely crazy. The fact that he'll basically accept any role on the spot is extremely cool for a Hollywood actor, I think, especially someone that old who you would think they would probably feel like above it at that age. But um, I like the fact that he hasn't, even though he plays like a badass in movies, he just seems like he's got like a real sort of warmth about him, which is really, really cool. That being said, the movies that he's in are, I'm not really a fan of pretty much any of them, including the machetes, including the desperados, the Robert Rodriguez. I've never really been a fan of them. Really hard for me to get into. So he gets points with me for being, a good person outside the camera, but on screen is where he's going to lose points with me. So I'm going to give him a 68. Oh, that's low for Rigby right there. Yeah. I'm not going to beat the horse here. Uh, Jay, you guys have hit most of what I would, I would hit here. I just love what he represents. I, yep. he took De Niro's tutelage to heart when he said, you know, take everything they offer because they forget quick. That's what De Niro told him once upon a time. And so he's, he's kind of embraced that in his career. I think he's a better actor than he allows himself to be. In a lot of projects, I don't think he acts well, but in some, I've you know seen him in some other roles. I think he can actually do some dramatic work. He just doesn't seek that kind of stuff. He you know just stays in his lane, and you mm -hmm. know that's cool. More power to you. Lauren mentioned on the last episode that he started a company for former prisoners to you know be mm -hmm. extras and participate in projects, and so that's just one of the many things. You know, giving out Christmas toys. Helping with the local pit bull shelter in Pacoima. I, I love when he says, I still owe a lot. I don't think I'll ever be paid up, but it sure is fun getting there. So I'm giving him huge knocks in acting range and awards, but in terms of intangibles, pop culture, longevity, I mean, he's going to be pretty high up. So with all that, I'm going to give him a 72. John, what do you got? Given everything that I have seen from him, like I was thinking 80%. He's in a bunch of shitty movies and he is. <laughs> He's in a bunch of shitty movies, and he will pretty much take anything that is given to him. But he's come a long way from where he started, and he has not forgotten where he comes from. He tries to give back to the community that he came from, and so that goes a long way as far as I'm concerned. Shit, right now, I would give him 85%. 85. I like it. Warren. So I, I definitely agree with like his background and his history and everything like that. It's incredible. Like regardless if he was an actor, 
if he was a, just as a person, period, it's an incredible story. Um, that said, I've weighed every other actor just about the same and mm-hmm. personal life and stuff like that is only a portion of it. And so while he has maxed that out, he has fallen very short in just about everything else that we typically rank him on. Just to stay true to my ranking system, uh, he's a 52. Case, round us out. You know, it's actors like Trejo that make me glad we do this podcast. I don't think people talk about him a lot unless he's got things out. And so I'm really glad that we can find actors like him to kind of do a deep dive on on some of their work. I guarantee you nobody has brought up the movie Halloween (laughs) since 2016. No. And uh, so I'm glad it at least came up a couple times tonight. But he's got a great perspective on life and, and being a film star. You know, when he was hired for $320 a day to teach someone how to fight in the movie Runaway Train, he got his paycheck and he looked at it and he thought to himself, man, I made I made more money doing this than I did in a robbery. <laughs> he's one of the few actors that have that that thing. Um, he's done a ton of movies. He's done a ton of bad movies. You know, however, I think he's very self-aware and uh, he knows that he's blessed. And he's just enjoying the ride. And it reminds me a lot of Gary Cole. And I love that, you know, somebody asked him if he was worried about being typecasted as playing the mean Chicano dude with tattoos. And he went, well, I am the mean Chicano dude with tattoos. You know, go with what you got. And I just, you know, a lot of actors don't have that. And I, I love that he does. Finally, enough can't be said about, you know, the incredible things that he's overcome to turn his life around and to be living a healthy and happy life. All that being said... I'm going to give him a 68. Yeah, I love when he told the the kid from Juilliard, he, he said, I, I trained at the San Quentin School of Arts. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> uh, so. All right, Warren, what does that give us from a, an average for Trejo? It gives Danny Trejo a 70 on the dot, which puts oh. him at 11th, and that is in between JGL and Alicia Vikander. Fair. It's fair. Wow. Super fair. Warren, what does he uh, have coming soon? Yeah, according to IMDb, he's got 28 things. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. we're not gonna hit them. Pre-production? No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. And we, <laughs> we basically mentioned a shitload of them, anyways, like machete and stuff like that. So, and Donnie's bar mitzvah, but that's it. <laughs> I'm waiting for that one. Needless to say, you will see some Danny Trejo projects in the next year, depending on how the industry uh, adapts to the COVID environment. So probably in the next 30 minutes, if you turn your TV on, <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I would venture to bet a lot of money that you're going to see a trail project before you'll see another Chris Tucker project. Just me going out on a limb. That's bold, a Kyle. That's bold, uh, bold strategy, but I'm here for it. Our next episode, episode 22, we've got five actors we're throwing onto that wheel. One of them is one of our birthday boys from today, Christopher Lloyd. we got Brian Cranston, Eugene Levy, Alfre Woodard, and Tina Fey. What are your thoughts, fellas? Tina Fey, baby. I like the list. Tina Fey, she's awesome. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody tell me who Alfre Woodard is. She was in 12 Years a Slave. Yep. Clemency, that most recently came out last year. Primal Fear. Lion King, the new one. Star Trek, Captain America's of War. K-Pax, you know, one of our <laughs> uh, podcast favorites. Eugene Levy would be fun. Shit's Creek rocks. Yeah. We're going to have to watch American Pie movies. But you know he's in some stuff from like the 80s that none of us have probably ever seen or even heard of, you know? So it'd be cool to look back on his career like that. And Christopher Lloyd obviously is up there too for being a fun one to cover. 
I'm due for a rewatch of the Page Master, so let's go with Christopher <laughs> Lloyd. <laughs> if it's Cranston, you know, Breaking Bad will be a big part of that conversation, uh, which we've discussed a few times on this episode. I'm trying to think of just like film roles for him, and not not except aside from like why him. I don't none are like on. <laughs> he was in Trumbo. Oh, Trumbo! Trumbo. Yeah, that's Trumbo. Right. That's right. The Infiltrator. I remember that from a couple years oh, ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's got a few decent projects in there. Oh, Drive. He was in Drive and Argo. Oh, yeah. If we're looking for comedy, Tina Fey's the choice. But as always, the wheel decides. The wheel decides. The wheel decides. John, John, this is your chance right now to, if you've got any plugs or anything like that, we appreciate you being here. Any, Any words to the wise for our listeners or anything you want to talk about? The work you've been doing on the horror side? Well, I have no real plugs because I I nuked them all. I'm no longer a social media person. I am going first thing tomorrow morning to try to vote out the fascists. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just watch movies, be good to yourself and people that are around you, whether you know them or not. Those are all good things. Yeah, the only other thing that I'm doing is like, taking care of my house, making sure my animals are taken care of. <laughs> and honestly, I am indulging my inner nerd these days. I am playing so many role-playing games, it's ridiculous. Might as well, if we're all locked in for COVID. It's a good time for it. So we, Hi, yep. We appreciate you breaking out that uh, that expensive bourbon for us. You know, we're Hell yeah, honored. I will do yeah, it yeah. every time. I say it was effective. That's that's, that's that's what I would say. It works. <laughs> so I was told I had to come to correct this evening. You did. You did. You, you came in. The legend proceeded and the legend delivered. So we're, we're here. Yeah, John. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, John. Yeah, man. We My really appreciate pleasure, it. you guys. Thank you so much. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Uh, our next pod is going to hit on November 5th. We're going to be joined by Dames Marvs a.k.a. Dane's brother, also part of the CF3 podcast. He's a good one. He will come in with some sharp wit. Dames is an interesting cat. So I know Warren and Rigby have come across with him uh, doing some CF3 things. I've been on a bunch of podcasts with Dames. Uh, he's, a, he's a cool dude and uh, got a lot of uh, film knowledge. So Yeah, should be awesome. Another guest, Munson. Yeah, he's, he'll, be, he'll be fun. He'll bring in a good energy. You can uh, find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram. Munson's at the movies. You can email us, Munson's at the movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Munson's? I don't need to justify myself. Only the weak justify what they do. The strong do it. I could kill you right now. I think I would spend one minute justifying it? Not easy. All right, Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?